Welcome back to the Tasty Morsels of Critical Care Podcast. Today we're talking a little bit about the most vital of gases, oxygen. This is going to be back to some very basic physiology from O's Manual Chapter 28 that really I probably should have learnt in medical school. But honestly, looking back, I'm not sure I learned anything in medical school except how to get by, scrape by with the minimum of effort and knowledge. I must say though, my postgraduate career has been somewhat more enthusiastic. So oxygen is that vital substance that we need in order to conduct oxidative phosphorylation, which is the body's most efficient means of producing ATP. For, for oxygen to get, say, from my left nostril to a skeletal massite in my right tibialis anterior, it has to go through very roughly five steps. So number one, convection of O2 um, to the alveola itself, so the gastro ventilation process. Diffusion through the alveolar membrane. Number three, reversible bonding with hemoglobin. Number four, transport, transport to tissues, which is largely cardiac output dependent. And number five, diffusion to cells and organelles. So let's run through that a little bit more step by step. So firstly, oxygen is drawn through the big bellows of the lungs and at the alve- alveolus it meets its first real challenge. How do you get across the membrane? Here it obeys fixed laws of diffusion where the rate of diffusion is proportional to both the surface area and concentration difference and is inversely proportional to the thickness of the membrane. In other words, when there's lots of membrane that is very thin and not very much oxygen on the other side of that membrane, then diffusion is at its best. In apnea, for example, the continued blood flow through the lungs draws away any O2 increasingly radiant across the membrane. O2 is drawn through the membrane and in turn more O2 is drawn from the larger airways. And this is one reason why apneic oxygenation works so well and we see this perhaps most dramatically during the apnea testing for brainstem death. Simply maintaining a high concentration of oxygen in the airways will continue to keep a patient pre-oxygenated even in the absence of bulk flow of gas through breathing. Once diffused into the blood, it then joins up with its best friend forever, haemoglobin. Oxygen would much rather be joined to haemoglobin than merely dissolved in the blood. And at this stage, I am legally required to mention the oxygen haemoglobin association curve. And despite years of doing this, I still cannot get into my head the left and right shifts. In other words, which one is which? What has stuck in my head is the intelligent adaptation of a system that encourages oxygen offload in areas of the body that are hot, full of CO2 and acidotic. For example, muscles working under high load. This might be a rightward or a leftward shift, and I honestly, I really can't remember. But thankfully, the human body systems seem to do it quite well without my input. So all is well. This um, oxyhemoglobin relationship allows us to move large amounts of oxygen around the body fairly easily. However, of course, it is dependent on the cardiac output to get it to where it needs to go. The amount of oxygen the pump can deliver is dependent on flow, but also on the oxygen content of the blood. A hemoglobin of 15 will carry much more oxygen for a cardiac output of 5 litres a minute than a hemoglobin of 10 for a cardiac output of 5 litres a minute. The oxygen-carrying capacity of the blood combined with the cardiac output can be put together to form the off-sided DO2. DO2 is one of those kind of abbreviations for a physiologic concept that has one of those uh, little dots above one of the letters in a superscript um, 2, making it altogether difficult to reproduce online without a bewildering number of keyboard shortcuts. But DO2 is also best discussed with reference to its partner in crime, VO2, or oxygen consumption. Indeed, combined, you can use the term DO2-VO2 relationships in some kind of physiology discussion and award round, and you can really just pray no one asks a follow-up question. Perhaps something actually worth knowing is that resting oxygen delivery, DO2, comes in at around 1000 mils per minute. This is the supply half of the relationship. The oxygen consumption comes in at around 250 mils per minute. This is the demand half of the relationship. And we see this reflected in the normal venous saturations of around 65%. If the body was ran by a socially funded health service in English-speaking Western Europe, then I doubt we'd see such generous reserves. 
why are we going to all this effort supplying four times the amount of oxygen the body actually needs in any given minute? But the body is smart, having learned its way through natural selection that the best way to avoid a saber-toothed tiger eating you is to have a large reserve of oxygen supply in the event that you need to get away from said tiger in a hurry. The nationalised health services that we know and love could do with a lesson in supply and demand from the perspective of DO2-VO2 relationships. But I digress. Having navigated the rushing rivers of the circulation, our intrepid hero, the oxygen molecule, is nearing its final destination, the mitochondria. It has to cross the cell membrane and get to the mitochondria and again find benefit in fixed principles of diffusion in addition to that shift in the oxyhemoglobin curve mentioned above. In my head, I pictured oxygen tensions in the mitochondria might be similar to that taken from my arterial blood gas. So if I had been guessing in a medical school undergraduate exam, which was generally my default position at the time, I would have said that the PO2 in a mitochondria might be in the 8 to 10 kilopascals range. In reality, when we have managed to measure oxygen tensions in the mitochondria, we find it to be, quite staggeringly, as low as 0.133 kilopascals. Below this, the mitochondria gets a little bit upset and tends towards anaerobic respiration. So the next time you find the med rage is trying to get someone into the ICU with a PO2 of 7.5, you can always be smug and say, call me back when there's less than 0.133 kilopascals and hang up. Please don't do that. Uh, the reading for this chapter comes mainly from O's Manual, chapter 28.